Hey everybody, how you doing? Good, it's good to see you. Good to be back with you again. Those of you joining us online, welcome. It's great to have you joining with us as well. We're in our fourth week of a series, ever since we kind of reopened to gather uh, publicly, called Come Back Stronger. We're talking about what does it mean to come back stronger as the church in this season that we're in. And so today we're talking about them over us. Them over us. Uh, last summer, for our anniversary, my wife Carrie and I went to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan for the first time. We've lived here 19 years. Last summer was the first time that we've actually been to the UP. I don't know how that happened, uh, but that's, that, we went there. And so we went to Munising. And some of you have been to Munising, the pictured rocks. We went and we hiked everywhere, went on like the waterfall tour, uh, walked all around. And then the last day we were there, we were like, yeah, it'd be really great to see the pictured rocks from the water. And so we were gonna go do like the kayak thing. So where you can take the kayaks out. So we get there and they said, sorry, it's a beach hazard warning, we're closed. Whenever there's a beach hazard warning, we just, we close down, we don't do that. And so we thought, okay, our only option then is to do the boat tour, right? The, the Pictured Rocks boat tour. Do you know about the boat tours? Anybody else done these or, or been on these? Okay, a few people. So for those of you who don't know, um, this is the Pictured Rocks boat cruises. It's like a boat like this where there's an upper deck and then the lower deck. And so we go, we get on this boat, it's just packed with people. When was the last time you were anywhere that was just packed with people? And we, it was packed with people. Uh, Carrie and I are on the upper deck of the boat. And right as we're about to pull out, the captain comes on, the crew's there on the boat, and the captain says, hey, we've been told that there, once you get out of the channel, along the lakeshore as you're going, there are five to six foot waves. And this boat really isn't made for that. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna try it. And once we get out of the channel, if it's just too rough, if it's too dangerous, then what we're going to do is we're going to turn around and come back. And when we come back, we'll refund you half of your money. That's what they said. Unless you want to get off right now, then we'll refund you all of your money. And as soon as he said that, a bunch of people got up and walked off the boat. Those were the smart people. <laughs> My wife and I said, hey, we're here to see this. We've been on boats before and rough water. Whatever, we're just going to go for it. And so the boat pulls out and we're on the top deck. And at first, you know, the, the water's a little rough, but nothing bad. And we're going and we're, and the captain and the crew are working uh, to, you know, help point out all the sites, right? The captain's talking. He's talking about Lake Superior and all the differences between it. And we're looking at the lighthouse. We go over the shipwreck that's there in the channel as you're going out. And as soon as we get out of the channel and we turn these waves just start hitting the boat and the boat just starts moving and you can see how high up the upper deck is the waves are so intense water is now like splashing up over the top of this deck I mean, it's just, and I mean like a deluge it's soaking everybody with that absolutely freezing cold Lake Superior water and here's what happened as soon as the boat started doing that uh, and as soon as the water started hitting people started losing their minds on the boat I mean, freaking out, screams. I remember, and so the, the captain and the crew were like, please stay seated, please stay in your seats. Uh, over here on the right is this, uh, you know, he's talking about. I remember one lady gets up and starts running, like after a big, you know, crash of water comes over, she starts running and just slips and like slides across the upper deck. Another guy gets to the stairs because he's trying to get down the stairs into the you know the lower enclosed part he falls because the boat's moving so bad he falls and just goes do 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 like that down the steps and now the crew is just trying to keep people safe they're just trying to manage the panic on the boat 
And so finally the, the captain says, I'm sorry, we just can't do this. We got to turn around. And he comes back in and we got half of our money back. And my wife and I, this whole time, uh, I mean, what was amazing is we're sitting up there in the upper deck. I don't know why we weren't really that scared. But it, we went from like looking at the pictured rocks, looking at this whole thing to just sort of watching the panic unfold. That was way more interesting at a certain point. It was just watching people like, wow, look at these people. And, and I don't know about you, like the, the captain and the crew, they did the same thing. They had to switch in order to start managing the panic on boat instead of leading the crews. Have the last few months felt a little bit like that uh, at all in your work and your family I know for us here at church, um, for myself and for our, our staff, that's what it's felt like. It's felt like, uh, you know, as the waves have gotten bigger and bigger and more and more things have been happening in our world, it feels like we've gone from like the mission of the church and focusing on that and keeping our eyes on the goal of that to just sort of trying to manage the panic that's going around and manage the panic within ourselves, within the church, within the larger community and, and society. That's what it's felt like. And so today, what I want to do is I want to take you on a little tour. I'm going to be your, your boat captain. And I want to take you on a little tour to put our focus and our energy back on the mission of the church. So if you haven't been part of Frontline for a little while, or if you're watching online and you've never, maybe you've just started watching during this season, our vision statement as a church is we are not done until zero people remain unchanged by Jesus. That's our vision statement as a church. We're not done. We still have work to do until there are zero people remaining unchanged by Jesus. We are on the same mission that Jesus said that he was on. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Yes, I'm healing people. I'm feeding people. I'm doing all kinds of things. But the reason I'm here, bottom line, I'm here to seek and to save the lost. That's what we're here for. That's what Frontline exists for in this community and in our world. <clears throat> if I could, let's leave 2020 in America for a moment. And I want to take you to 1953 China. If you were alive in 1953, you would have seen the rise of communism in China. And you would have seen the forced removal of every foreign missionary that was there in China. Churches were shut down. Missionaries were kicked out of the country. And if you would have been alive back then... You would have said, along with a lot of other people who are Christians in our world, you would have said, wow, that's sad. What a, what a horrible defeat for the gospel. They kicked God out of the country. What a horrible defeat for the gospel. <clears throat> at the same time, you would have looked, in the same year, 1953, you would have looked at Europe. And at that time, Europe was full of churches that were open and free to proclaim the gospel. And in fact, in many cases, were subsidized by the government. That's still true in some churches today in Europe. And you would have looked at that in 1953 and you would have said, wow, this, this country, this area of our world has uh, the hope for the future. You would never have guessed that less than 70 years later in 2020, China would be home to a vibrant and exploding house church movement. You guys know this? The gospel is exploding in China it just, it's like wildfire just catching. I was at a conference right before COVID started and the main idea of the conference was we need in America, we need to learn from China. Look at what's happening over there. We need to pay attention to that. You would never have guessed that in 1953 that Europe with its open and free 
uh, you know, policy to be able to preach the gospel. Churches being subsidized, you would never have guessed that it would be full of empty churches. Here's the point I'm making. COVID will not diminish the church. Our complacency for the lost might. COVID is not going to stop the church from going forward. But if we as the church become complacent and don't develop a heart for the lost, that could. So, so the question we're asking with, as we talk about them over us is how do we come back as the church with a heart for the lost? <clears throat> how do we come back as a church with a burning white heart, white hot passion for this group of people that Jesus called lost people? So if you've been joining us the last few weeks, you know that we've been in the book of Acts. And today we're going to look at Acts 17. We're going to continue on our journey through the book of Acts. And so um, if you've got your Bible, you can turn with us or your app. Also, by the way, we, this is the first week we've put physical Bibles back in the worship center as well. We did our best to sanitize those. If you take one, you can take it home, dip it in some hand sanitizer if you want. You can call it your own. It's yours if you'd like to take that. Um, but Acts 17, to set the stage a little bit for where we are right now, in Acts 17, Paul, who's been going around preaching the gospel, he's actually waiting for his friends in the city of Athens. And it's the first time he's been in Athens. So we'll jump right in uh, here to verse 16. It says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul's walking around Athens and he's, he's distressed. Something's bothering him. He's looking at what's happening to people. He's looking at the way that their lives are being impacted by idol worship, by the Greek culture of the day. He's looking at how people are, you know, bound up in lies and they, they aren't experiencing the truth. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, not just in the church. He goes into the marketplace of Athens day by day with those who happen to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and about the resurrection. And so Paul is preaching this gospel message in the city of Athens. What, what I want you to see here is that if we're gonna come back as the church with a heart for the lost, it begins with a burden. It starts with a God-given burden for people. It always does. Any attempt or any move of the Holy Spirit to see people come to faith in Jesus always begins with God's people developing a burden for people, a burden for people in their community. Paul is walking around the city of Athens and he is distressed. He's bothered by what he sees. And not just in kind of like a shame on them. They shouldn't be that way. But like in a, his heart is broken. That word distress carries with it. It's like deep conviction. His heart is broken for what he's seen. He is, he's, he's bothered by what's happening in people's lives and the way that they're kind of being sucked into this. And that's where it begins. God wants to give each and every one of us a burden for lost people, a burden for other people who don't know Jesus. Who has God given you that burden for? You know, I honestly think what we need to do right now as a church is we need to repent and we, we need to ask God forgiveness for us making the church all about us. And we need to ask God to give us a burden for lost people again. 
I think we need to recover that in the church today in America. We need to say, God, would you give us a burden for lost people again? Would you allow us to rediscover that? Jesus modeled this. Jesus walked uh, along and it said, he saw the crowds and to him they looked harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and he felt burdened for them. And that's that, that moment in the gospels where Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask God to raise up workers for the harvest field. We, I think we need to repent a little bit. We need to say, God, forgive us for the way we've made it about us. And would you give us a burden again for lost people? This is what's happening. Paul is so moved by this, he goes into the marketplace and begins, it says he begins debating with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So, so quick little uh, Greek lesson here for Greek history lesson for you, if you will. Epicureans were this group of philosophers and Athens was an extremely influential city where people would come from all around to debate and to talk about different ideas and philosophies. Epicureanism believed that there was no connection between the physical world and the divine. And so they believed the best thing you could do in life would be to seek pleasure and to avoid pain. And so if you've ever heard the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, Anybody heard that phrase before? Is that, a, is that a phrase you've heard at some point in your life? Okay, that was from Epicureanism. That's actually a Greek phrase that came from this group of people. Stoics, Stoicism was basically this belief that there was a connection between the physical world and the divine and that the, this reasoning force that drove the universe that was the connection, they called it logos. It's where we get our word logic. So they believed in reason and logic and that if you could tap in and live by these universal laws that you could actually tap into the divine. That's what they believed. Here's why I tell you that. I want you to see something there. I want you to see that the people of Athens had beliefs. They had faith in something. They, they had ideas and beliefs and values about the universe that they lived in and the way that the world worked. See, a lot of times what we think when we look at our world is we say, well, there are the religious people and then there are the non-religious people. There are people who have beliefs and then there are people who don't have any beliefs. They're just kind of here, I guess, living their lives. But that's actually not true. Everybody has some level, some set of beliefs. In fact, the author Tim Keller talks about how there are these questions that every single human being, they're the deep questions of life, uh, questions that every single human being has to have working answers for. And this is the way he defines those questions. What's my purpose in life? How do I handle suffering? How do I face death? How do I ever really find happiness? And how do I get an identity that's not unstable and fragile? Just, just leave those up there for a minute if you could, guys. Tim Keller says, these are the questions. They are the, the questions that every human being wrestles with. All of us have to have working answers to these questions. They may not be good answers that we have, but every human being has answers to these questions. The point is, everybody is religious. Whatever your answers are to these questions, that's your religion. It's not like there are religious people and non-religious people. Everybody is religious because everybody has some level of answers to these questions. Epicureans, they were religious people. Stoics, very religious people. Atheists have great faith. Atheists are people who are religious. They have answers to these questions. In fact, it takes great faith to believe some of the things that they believe, you know, some of the answers that they've come up to these questions. I, I mean that, sincerely. 
It's not like there are people of faith and then there are people who don't have faith or people with beliefs and people without beliefs. Everybody is religious because however you answer these questions, that's kind of the bedrock of your soul. That's what you live by. And for centuries and centuries and thousands and thousands of years throughout the whole history of humanity, even to this day, right now, today, these are the questions we all wrestle with. We all are hungry for the same things. We all are asking the same basic questions about life. Maybe you have a neighbor who believes in getting drunk and then setting fireworks off until 2 a.m. Anybody have that neighbor, that annoying neighbor that does that? And if you're sitting there right now going, what's wrong with that? You are that neighbor. (laughs) Your annoying neighbor who does that has a set of beliefs about the universe and about life and about where he fits into all of that. They may not be good working answers to those questions we just saw, but he has answers. Maybe you have a sister who dropped out of college to take a gap year to go and find herself. And as you've watched this last year unfold, you've thought to yourself, man, she's finding a whole lot of trouble. I don't know what she's finding exactly. Your sister has a set of beliefs about life and about herself and how she fits into the universe. She's trying to find working answers to those questions too. And that's what Paul does. Paul just begins to wrestle around those questions of life. And the point I'm trying to make, go ahead, if if we could, to the next one there. Lost people are religious. Lost people are religious because every single person has to wrestle with those questions. Here's the thing. Most of us just don't care to have conversations that go to that depth, that level of conversation. Most of the time, we kind of keep our conversations surfacey. When we connect with others, we kind of stay up here. And even if a door opens or there's an opportunity to talk about some of those deeper level things, a lot of times we just don't, we don't take that exit ramp. We say, no, thank you. I don't want to get that weird or that personal. But, but if you can begin to engage people around those deeper questions of life, what you'll find is that there's common ground there. Every single one of us is trying to figure out working answers. We have to have working answers to those questions. Everybody does. It's a question of, do you want to go there? Do you want to take the conversation there? Are, are, are you willing to say, so what, what do you think about this? So how do you answer this question? So, so where do you go to find hope? How do you get through suffering and, and dark times like what we're living in? And it's amazing what people will, will begin to tell you, what they'll begin to just say when you begin to go to that level of question. Lost people are religious. What happens in our story, if we can kind of keep going, is Paul, from this moment, he's engaging these people in the marketplace, and they're like, hey, we know where you should go. And they take Paul, and they take him to this place called the Areopagus. It's there in the city of Athens. If you want to go ahead to the next picture, this is the Areopagus today. This is what it looks like. This is kind of the ruins of it. Uh, Areopagus means hill of Ares. Ares was the Greek god. Uh, The Roman version of that was Mars. So, So the hill of Mars or Mars Hill or the hill of Ares, that's what Areopagus means. It was a center of religious and philosophical thought. It's a place where people would come from all around and they would come to the Areopagus to debate the latest thoughts, the latest philosophies about art and science and philosophy and religion. And the reason they would do that is because Athens was the kind of place, and the Areopagus specifically, was the kind of place that had the power to influence a whole lot of other places in the world. 
And so that's where Paul goes. He goes to the Areopagus, this area where the, the, the philosophies of the day were debated. He finds himself here at this place, and we actually have the speech he gives the council at the Areopagus in Acts 17. And I, I think every Christian should read this speech that Paul gives. We're not going to read every verse of it today, but we should read it. It's incredible what he says and what he does there. So let me take you through at least a little bit of it here. So it says, so Paul, standing before the council, this is at the Areopagus, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. Highlight that, that sentence there. That sentence is exactly what we were just talking about. He doesn't start out by saying, hey, here's the thing. I know God and you don't. I'm smart and you're dumb. I'm beautiful. You are not attractive. He doesn't do that. <laughs> he starts out with, hey, I've been walking around. I see you are very religious in every way. Why? Because everyone is religious. <laughs> everyone is asking those deep questions of life. I notice that you're very religious every way. He starts with common ground. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Do you see what, what Paul's doing here in this passage? Do you see what he's saying? He, he's literally starting with this common ground. I see that you're very religious in every way. And then he finds this inscription to an un, unknown God. And then what he does after he finds this, uh, this unknown God is he uses that as a starting point for proclaiming the gospel to them. And again, we're not going to read through the entire speech uh, I encourage you to do that on your own. But, but what Paul does, if I can kind of net it out for you, is he literally says, this unknown God that you, that you don't know, we actually can know him. He's been revealed to us through the person of Jesus Christ. He says that God revealed himself. This unknown God revealed himself, came near to humanity in the person of Jesus. And by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, he gave us new life. He took our place and so we can actually know God. We can be reconciled to God personally through knowing Jesus Christ. He ends, verse 30 at the very end, he ends by calling them to repent. He says the entire human race needs to repent and come back to God and embrace Jesus and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. He preaches the gospel to them from this starting point. And then there was a giant altar call and 80,000 people got saved. No, that's actually not what happens at all. Actually, what happens is after Paul does this, most of them laugh at him. Like, are you kidding me? This is actually not one of the big success stories in the book of Acts. In fact, if I were Paul at this moment, if I had gone to the city of Athens, if I had gone through all this trouble, and then I'd gotten brought before the high council, and I gave this great speech, this really incredible speech, and then literally they just laugh at you, this would be a failure moment. That's how I would feel. Wow, this didn't work out. And a lot of us would look at it that way. We would, we would review it that way and we would just shut our mouths and we'd be done trying. What it says is that even though they laugh at him, there are, there are a couple people who do come to faith in Jesus. One of them is a, a member of the Areopagus High Council. The other person who comes to faith is a woman named Damaris. If you go to the city of Athens today, there is a street in the town of Athens named after Damaris. Uh, church history says that Damaris became a fully engaged follower of Jesus and that eventually she ended up dying for her faith. She was martyred for her faith. 
and she was part of helping to set up the church in Athens. The church in Athens began to become a center and a hub, and eventually this church, long after Paul left, Damaris and some others start this church in the city of Athens that ends up becoming a major center for Christianity that ends up reaching and affecting millions and millions of people around the world for the gospel. The point I'm making is, this was like a failure moment for Paul. If you're Paul, you probably walked away and went, man, what are you doing, God? <laughs> I didn't work. I tried to be faithful. I tried to open my mouth. I tried to say what you put in my heart to say. And this whole thing just blew up. I look like an idiot. They all laughed at me, except for a couple of these people. He, he would have thought that was a failure moment. He would have walked away because it didn't result in great numbers of converts. And see, that's where we get hung up. We get hung up a lot of times because we think we have to be successful. We think that's what God's called us to do. God never called you to be successful. He's only called you to be faithful with the opportunities he's given you, with the relationships that he's put you in. He's only called you to be faithful. See, a lot of times we think if we don't take our neighbor or take our, our, our family member, whoever it is, and we don't get them all the way across the line of faith, if we don't get them, you know, to this point where they completely follow, fall in love with Jesus, it was a failure, we messed up, we blew it. And so a lot of times what happens is we step back, we get quiet, we close our mouths and we keep the, the conversation surface level. But sometimes I think what we believe is some of our moments of greatest failure in sharing our faith are actually some of our moments of greatest success. It is a success when you offer to pray for someone who doesn't share your faith. When someone's talking with you about something happening in your life, you say, hey, I don't know where you're at with God. I, I'm, I just want you to know, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna be praying for you. That's a success. It is a success whenever you share your story of how God has worked in your life with absolutely no expectation of how they're gonna reciprocate. If you share your story of faith, just say, hey, this is something that God did in my life. And I, you know, I get it if you don't believe this or whatever, but I'm just... All I can do is just tell you my story. Here's what's happened in my life. And even if they don't reciprocate at all, that's a success. It is a success when you stand up for something, when you make some sort of moral decision at your job and it actually costs you something. And other people who you work with say, why did you do that? Why didn't you take the shortcut? Why didn't you just do the thing that would have, you know, gotten you the easy result? And the reason you give for why you wouldn't take that shortcut is your faith. That's a success. Even if they laugh at you, even if they think you're an idiot. It is a success every time you invite someone to come with you to church and they tell you no. Sorry, no, I'm not interested. That's a success. Because every time we open our mouths and are faithful, God didn't call us to do the work. The gospel is this idea that we can't do it. Only God can save. Only God can work in people's lives. Our job is just to be faithful with the opportunities. And sometimes the, th the moments where we think we failed are the moments where the greatest success happens. If I were to look at our world today, 2020, and if I were to look at our vision, I would tell you the Areopagus of our world is online. The, the center where people come together to share the latest ideas, philosophies, thoughts, TikTok videos, it's online. That's where it is. That's where we share things. That's where we come together. That's the Areopagus of our, of our day and of our world. 
And that's why as a church during this time, you may not have realized it, but during this time of COVID, we've put a ton of energy into upgrading our live stream, upgrading the ability to actually experience church online. And I got to tell you, even as I'm talking with other pastors and other leaders, I think there's a move. I think that coming out of COVID, that's going to be something that's going to continue to be a major influence in our world is the ability to experience church and hear the gospel online. I don't think that's just for this season. I don't think we're just going to go back to normal. Uh, something I told our staff earlier this week, I said, we used to be a multi-site church network that happened to have a little online presence. We just became an online church that happens to have a little multi-site presence. We happen to have some physical buildings. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because it's never been easier to invite someone to experience your church. Before COVID, all we had was a message. Now people can literally experience what we experience every single week through the worship, through the message, through um, even through small groups. We're doing everything we can to move as much ministry online. Here's the thing, gathering will always be important. The church for centuries has always gathered. In China, churches still gathered in house churches when, they, when it was illegal to do so. The church will always gather and we will always continue to gather physically. But we're living in a time that's unprecedented in the history of humankind. Where what we can do is we can literally invite somebody to come and, and experience our church by saying, hey, why don't you just watch my church with me online? We have this tool, we have this ability to say, hey, come experience, come taste and see. Just experience this with me. You're going through a time in life, hey, I, I think this is something that, that's, that's helped me. And we actually have the opportunity to use our online presence to invite people to come to Christ. And if they say no, that's still a success. But, but things are shifting. Things are changing in our world. Let's not miss the opportunities that are right in front of us. And so for me, it's, in this season, it's been all about how do we shift? How do we move things in that direction? Because God is not done with our world yet. He's just getting started. He's just, you know, he's just beginning to use us as the church to reach people with the gospel. The tools are just changing. That's it. We, we don't have to climb a hill and go to some ancient buildings and stand in front of a council like Paul had to do. We've got some other tools. Let's use them. That's what God put us here to do. And we're not done until zero people remain unchanged by Jesus. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save lost people. That's what we're here for. And that's what we're gonna continue to look for opportunities to do. I'm gonna close with this. I wanna tell you about a guy who was, has been part of our church for the last several years. Uh, somewhere around 2014, a guy named Nate Hagen started attending Frontline. And Nate was pretty rough around the edges. He had quite a few health problems. And I remember when Nate... Uh, Nate came to our church because God had met him in a powerful way in the midst of his life and he'd given his life to Jesus. I remember in 2014 when he got baptized right, right here, uh, right here in our church. Nate began serving on our tech team and was a part of our, our ministry. He was here like all the time. And what I, what I started to notice with Nate was that he, he started bringing people with him to church and like family members, friends. If, if you'd see anything he'd post online, it was... Like, it was just all about Jesus. Uh, one of the most on-fire people I've ever met, and I think because he had so many health problems, even though he was young, he, he had a lot of, uh, of issues, uh, I think that just made his faith more radical. I think it just made heaven more real to him and, and the reality of what, the urgency of what we're living with with the gospel, it just became more and more urgent to him. He died in April. 
during this whole COVID thing. It, what, he didn't die of COVID, but he died um, just because of all the, the health struggles and challenges that he had. And just a few weeks ago, I got to do his funeral. Right before his funeral, uh, his mom, Dawn, and Dawn, I hope you're watching uh, today. Uh, Dawn said, hey, uh, she just shared this with me. You know how Facebook will pop up these memories, you know? And it popped up this post that Nate had made like a year before his death. And um, I read it at his funeral. I'd love to read it for you right now. This is one of us. This is uh, one of our own. This is what he posted on Facebook a year before his death, right in the midst of battling incredible health concerns and problems. It was a prayer. Here's what it says. God, I know your timing is perfect, and I trust you completely with my life and my circumstances. Lord, thank you for providing for the needs I have right now, and thank you for the blessings that are yet to come. Even if I never see the fulfillment of my heart's desire, I will still honor you with my life. Wow. I pray for peace, patience, and perseverance as I put my hope in you. Thank you for comforting me during this time of waiting and for leading me in the way of everlasting life. You are my portion, Lord, and I am fully satisfied. Amen. The dude posted that on Facebook. Think about some of the Facebook posts you've seen recently from Christians. The Areopagus of our world is online. God doesn't call us to be successful. He doesn't call us to live till we're 99. He doesn't call us to make it happen ourselves. He just calls us to live out the faith, the truth of the gospel in our lives. So the question I wanna leave you with is, who has God given you a burden for? Who is it for you? Who, who has God given you a burden for? And if, and if the answer is nobody, say in this next few moments, just say, God, I repent of making it all about me. Would you give me a burden? Ask him, say, God, would you give me a burden for lost people? Would you give me a burden for people I encounter, people I see? I, I love this quote. It's not gonna be up on the screen. William Temple, a great leader in the evangelical movement years and years and years ago said, the church is the only organization that exists for the sole benefit of non-members. <laughs> That's us. That's what we've been given to do because we serve a God who left heaven and came to earth to seek and to save the lost. That's what he came here for. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, we do just begin by saying, God, as the waves have gotten bigger and um, the fear has gotten higher and all the distractions and all the things that have, have been going on have caused us to focus more on our own internal panic or on the panic that's happening around us in our world. As we've had all these things happening, God, this morning, we turn back to you and we say, would you help us to put our focus back on the only true hope there is in this world? Would you help us to remember that we are here just for a short period of time and that life is too short and the mission is too important to spend our lives 
bickering and debating about unimportant things. God, I pray that you would just give us a burden for lost people. Every single one of us that's hearing my voice online and in this room, would you give us a burden? Would you give me a deeper burden, God, for lost people? Would you renew that for each of us, God? And would you help us to remember uh, that you redeem us and you save us? And as your word says in 2 Corinthians, you call us to be ambassadors for the faith as if you were making your appeal through us. We say yes to that mission, God. We say yes. We lay down any burden we feel of, oh, I could never do it. I have to be successful. If I can't, I'm a failure. It's not even what it's about. We lay all that down and we just say, God, we, we, we want you to open our eyes to the opportunities that we have to be faithful whether it results in someone coming to know you or whether it results in us getting laughed at, it doesn't matter. As we just heard Nate Hagen say in his words, we will still worship you. We'll still be faithful to you. Because you're the one who's won the victory for us. It's not a battle we have to fight and win. It's a battle that's already been won on our behalf and it's good news about that battle being won that we get to share. And so God help us to share it with everything that we do with every opportunity that we get. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...